Welcome to Maths Talk by AMSI Schools, where conversations in maths become part of your professional learning practice. Today I've got Helen Booth and Nadia Abdelal with me, both of them fellow schools outreach officers. G'day Helen, how are you? Fine Marcus, how are you? And Nadia, how are you going? Not too bad, thanks. Now, today I, th- I thought we'd continue to have a chat uh, about a series that Helen and I began a couple of weeks ago on fractional thinking. We, we began to talk about fractions and decimals and concentrated very much on both the relationship between fractions and decimals and also some of the misconceptions that students had generally. But Nadia, I thought we'd start with you today. You had a really interesting anecdote to share uh, from, from one of uh, the classrooms you worked in recently. I did, I did. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I was in a year seven classroom and I st- always start my uh, my class with uh, number talks and this day was no different. So I, I walked in and I gave him the fraction uh, 12 thirteenths plus seven eighths is closest to what number? And I had four options. The first one was one, the second one was two, the third was 19 and the fourth was 21. So uh, after some thinking time, um, many of the kids said that the answer was either 19 or 21. In fact, not one student recognised that the answer was closest to two. So yeah, I thought that that was a, a really interesting kind of lesson. What do you think about that, Helen? Um, I think it's it's something that is obvious in the way that we teach fractions. We we talk about different constructs for fractions. Um, and there is identified five different constructs for fractions. We talk about fractions as part and whole, the relationship between part and whole. But as part of that part and whole is also the concept of magnitude. And what I would say is those students are not recognising that 12 thirteenths is nearly one and that 7 eighths is nearly one. So they're not actually thinking of them in relation to the whole. So we've got nearly one and a nearly one, so that's going to be nearly two. They're actually thinking them, oh, I need to do a procedure on them. So they're busy trying to um, add them together. And that hasn't worked because they obviously hadn't, haven't actually even known how to turn them into equivalent fractions. Mm. That, that was really interesting. And the, the fact that many of them thought the answer was 19, which was just the numerators added together, or 21, which is just the denominators added together. So they didn't even recognise that perhaps they needed to find a common denominator and then add the numerators. They just saw it as whole number addition. So that that kind of thinking often surprises us as teachers because we think, hey, well, what, what what is going on in your head? Why, why are you thinking this way? So what I thought we'd do today is basically work through a series of ways that kids can think about fractions. So as Helen just mentioned, we're going to call them fraction constructs. Let's have a start with that idea that you just mentioned, Helen, the idea of, um, of fractions as part of a whole. And then we'll have a chat about a few other fraction constructs, in other words, other ways that kids can think about fractions um, and, and, and hopefully unpack some of that confusion that students have. So do you want to have a chat firstly about what we mean by thinking about fractions as part of a whole? Well, fractions, when they're first introduced, are 
introduced as part of a whole. So in a lot of ways, when you go right back to a year one class and we're introducing this concept of a fraction as part of a whole or a collection, students are not understanding that um, the concept of a half, so at year one level, we introduce the concept of a half. They're not understanding that the concept of a half is dependent on the size of the unit or the whole that we're talking about. So the con when we first introduce the concept of a half in year one, we're introducing it as half of a whole or a collection or particularly of a, of a whole. But students don't understand that the size of the half is dependent on the size of the whole. So you ask a student to show me a half and they are still applying their natural number bias to their un to that understanding by thinking that a half is, is static. Like one is always one and six is always six. They think a half is always a half, but the size of the half is totally dependent on what the whole is. Now, Helen, you actually said something really interesting um, earlier today when we were having a conversation, and that was whenever you ask the question of what is a half, what's the question you always ask? Oh, so if I ask you what it, what is a half, to show, uh, show me a half, often with adults, even with adults, they will show you half a circle or they'll draw a circle and then shade it in half because we've, we have standardized the half. Whereas the question you should be asking me is actually, what's the unit? Because if I give you, I ask you the question, what is a half? And I'm talking about a dozen eggs, which is a lot different from if I have an apple and ask you, what is a half with relation to that apple? So the the size of the half is totally dependent on what the unit is I'm talking about. So that that um, confusion between uh, a fraction and the fact that a fraction varies depending on the unit, that often then translates as far out as adulthood. Nadia, I'm, I'm going to pull you back into the conversation here and, and ask you about a situation that you were in when you were shopping for skincare products quite oh. some time ago. Do you, want to, do you want to tell our listeners about, about that? Because I thought that was a great story and I've used it a few times when I've been talking to teachers in professional learning sessions. Um, just, just, just explain to the, to, to the listeners what happened and how that reflects that confusion between um, you know, a, a unit and, and a fraction of a unit. Uh, you're talking about my percentages one. Yeah, I actually made a whole unit um, or lesson on, on this interesting story. So I, uh, uh, I, I was in uh, a very well-known uh, skincare store and I was shopping for some, from, for some skincare uh, with a particular ingredient in it and uh, speaking to the lovely you know, customer service representative, and she was talking to me all about the ingredients that that are in it. And this particular uh, product had a certain percentage of this ingredient called hyaluronic acid. And um, she was talking to me about how, how much they both had together. So there was a serum and then there was a, a moisturiser. And um, in the serum had, you know, 75% hyaluronic acid and the moisturiser had 30% hyaluronic acid. So she was basically saying in the end that um, if you use both of these ingredients together, you're going to get more than 100% hyaluronic acid on your skin. And um, it's a very, very common misconception that people 
have with regards to this. So she's just taken 75% of one and 30% of another and not looked at it in terms of the proportions that are in each of the products and just basically added together and gotten 105, 105%, which you can't really have. So. <laughs> so, so there's an adult that's actually confused the, the idea of um, a, a fraction and not understanding that a fraction is depends on the unit. Like it's a proportion of a, of a whole unit of something. You can't just add static fractions together. Yeah, and, and that actually relates to the next construct, which is a construct about fraction as a measure. So in that case, when we're talking about 30% of a certain amount, it's 30% of whatever the total fluid amount is of that particular product, um, which is going to be different from the 75% of the fluid amount of the other. Mm -hmm. So in one, it might be, uh, and this is where if you if you actually talk about all of the, the concepts, the constructs around fractions, you are not only just bringing in, you, you can't separate them out. You can't sort of separate, oh, we're only going to do this. Yes, we when we first start talking about fractions, we introduce the concept of fractions as in the, in the part-whole relationship. But when you look at the other types of constructs. So you have constructs of, of fractions as a measure. That's also to do with the number line. So not only is it about quantities, it's also about where does it sit on the number line, which again relates to the magnitude of it. How do we compare these particular fractions to one another? We have to put them on a number line. We need to know um, if I'm going to compare 13 fourteenths and 12 thirteenths, where do they sit on that number line? Which is bigger? Which is actually going to be closer to one? You know, and, and actually being able to think about them as one another and knowing that seven eighths means we're only one eighth off a whole um, and thinking of it in that way. And also um, that if you have a number line from zero to one, half will sit in a different place than it would sit if you had a number line from zero to two. Yeah. And that's the other problem that often happens is we actually end up teaching fractions only between zero and one. Whereas, and kids, so kids end up thinking that's where fractions exist. Whereas, as you said, if I've got a line, and this is where, you know, going back to this concept of a unit, if my unit is three apples and I ask, what is a half? It's different from when I've got one apple because a half of three apples is one and a half apples. So it's it's we've got to look at fractions in lots of different ways, not just in one way. Yeah. It comes back to that importance of using number lines. And we've, we've mentioned that in two previous podcasts, I think, the importance of showing things on number lines, because that can be quite confusing. Half can be a point on a number line, as in 0 0.5. So it can be a particular point, or it can be a position on the number line, depending on how much we're talking about. So, so it goes back to Nadia's comment just before about whether a half is at one because it's half of two, for example, mm. or whether a half is that particular point on the number line. Let, let's um, move on and have a think about fractions as operators. This also is quite surprising for, um, for, for a, a lot of students to work out that, in fact, the vinculum in a fraction, so that little line between the numerator and the denominator, is really just operating as a division sign. 
Yeah, and, and it comes back, we were talking about the language that you use when you're talking about fractions as an operator and when we're talking about um, the whole concept of multiplying by a fraction. And a lot of kids learn the process. You know, um, we have a half times a third. They learn, all they got to do is multiply the numerator, multiply the denominator, and they get an answer of one sixth. They've got no idea how they get there because they're not actually understanding what that multiplication sign really means. They simply see it as, I've got to do an operation, I know what to do. And there's always a lot of confusion around them when they think, well, why is it getting smaller? Because when they apply their whole number bias to it, any time you multiply two numbers together, the number gets bigger. But when you do uh, multiply two fractions together, the answer gets smaller. And there's a lot of confusion around that when they just learn the procedure. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge amount of confusion and misconceptions around that, isn't there? So what would you recommend? Okay. Um, the easiest way to, to explain it to adults and, and students, and I found this is when I've been doing professional learning with a group of teachers, and I've said, I've put up on the board, you know, three times four. And yeah, they all know the answer. And I'm going, well, but how else could you talk about three times four? We could say three multiplied by four. Yes, but what does it actually mean? And often it's that thing of what does it actually mean? That's the important thing. So what does three times four mean? It means three groups of four. Or I like to get rid of the groups altogether and just three of four. So we've got three of four. So if you use that language... When you then apply that to two fractions that you're multiplying together, so you have a quarter times a half, if you put the language of of in there instead of multiply, you've got a quarter of a half. Now, as soon as you reword it like that, it becomes pretty obvious that the answer is going to be smaller because you want a quarter of a half. So you can actually visualise it. Whereas saying a quarter times a half... It's actually quite difficult to visualise that. Yeah, like immediately the student is thinking of the half as a unit of something. So we're going, what's a quarter of, for example, half an apple? Yeah. Or what's a quarter of half a kilometre? Yeah. So it gives them a, a unit context for, for working out the fraction. And it goes back to that, what we were talking about before on a, on a, um, on a number line. We were talking about the half can be in a different place. Well, sometimes a unit isn't a whole number, it's the, the whole is actually a fraction, which is what we're doing now. We're saying we're actually just dealing with a half and we want a quarter of it. I think putting it in a story sometimes makes it a little bit easier as well. When I do it with teachers and when I do it with students, I'll say, let's say mum has baked a cake and she's cut the cake in half and she's saved the half for dessert and she's allowed us now to share half of the cake between me and my three siblings or so the four of us how much of the cake are we going to get each so I'm I'm actually sharing a quarter of half a cake so immediately they start putting it in context and whenever you put anything in context it starts to make a little bit more sense so here's here's a doozy then we, we then end up in a really interesting situation when we start 
dividing fractions together. And I'll, I'll give you another little story, uh, a true story. I was um, running something I called uh, fraction boot camp with some parents at a school I was teaching with. Um, what had happened was I taught a unit of fractions. I wasn't happy with how year five and six had, had done in, in that particular unit test. So I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll get the parents in and I'll get the parents to sit with me and with the, with the students and we'll do a little fraction boot camp in the morning. Now, I must admit um, that what I had been doing is, is teaching a little bit of process rather than understanding to the students. And so I had taught them that great trick of, you know, if I have a half divided by a sixth, for example, what you do is you flip the second flat fraction and you change the divided by to a multiply by and hey, presto, you get the answer right. Purely process-driven, I'm ashamed to say. Stay, change, flip. Stay, change, flip. That's <laughs> the one. Now, the parents then said, so why does that work? And I came completely unstuck and found myself tripping over my tongue. I had to then say, I'm going to get back to you on that, and then spent half an hour working it out on paper and emailing the parents so I could give them a solution. But do you want to explain how we can also think about dividing two fractions together by using that same careful use of language to make the meaning more clear. Exactly. Yes. And often what you've just talked about is something that happens, I would say, in probably 60% of classes where division of fractions is, is introduced, that they get kept, They sorry, they get taught the, the process. Um, it, what one class I went into, it was being called KCF mm. instead of KFC. It was KCF. So keep, change, flip. Um, but if you, again, go to the language and you think of, let's start with whole numbers. So 12 divided by 4. All right. We know the answer is 3. But what does that division sign actually mean? And how could we reword it to make it make sense? And so one of the ways to think about it is to either say, you know, how, how many groups of four in 12, or one way I like it is where you actually say 12, how many fours? So if you consider that language and then apply it, for example, to a half divided by a quarter, you were saying a half, how many quarters? Now, when you think about that, what we're therefore asking is... How many quarters are there in a half? Half, how many quarters? So again, we can look at it as um, we can we can actually do a physical model of that. And again, when we put it in that language of a half, how many quarters, you again can visualize, okay, I have this half. I want to know how many quarters I can fit into it. So when the answer comes out as two, and that's what you get when you do your um, keep, change and flip, again, kids are confused because they go, okay, when we do division with whole numbers, the, the number gets smaller. But that doesn't work when we do fractions. So what's going on? And it comes back to the fact that we don't actually talk about what the unit we're talking about. So a half divided by a quarter, the answer is two, but it's two quarters. There are two quarters in a half, not two whole numbers, two quarters. Because that's where the confusion is a lot of the times when they say, when I'm dividing two fractions, because usually when I divide two numbers, it gets smaller, but 
when I'm dividing two fractions, suddenly I'm getting a whole number value and that's confusing. Like they don't know where that comes from. But having that unit at the end, that language of there are two quarters is yep. really important. But the other question I had for you is when you have one where it comes out as a fraction. So let's say... Uh, a quarter divided by a half. A quarter divided by a half. Yeah. So again, if you think again about the language and you put it into the language of how many, so instead of this time a half, how many quarters, we're going a quarter, how many halves. So if a quarter is only this size, so let, let's let's think of it in terms of a metre, all right? So we're thinking of a metre, and a quarter of a metre is going to be 25 centimetres. If I want to know what is a half, where does a half sit into that? We, well, we can actually see that a quarter, how many halves, is actually going to be a half. It's actually equal to only half a half because I can only fit, and I'm actually using a physical model here, I can only fit half a half into a quarter. It's a great demonstration of the fact that um, division is not commutative in the same way multiplication is. So a, qu a quarter times a half is the same as a half times a quarter. Yeah. But of course, thinking about the language that you've just described there, of course, you know, a half divided by a quarter is not the same as a quarter divided by a half. And we can show that with a physical model yes. and say to, say to students, look, if you're confused because, you know, division, we can't just reverse you know, things in division get the same answer. Here's why, and showing them showing them a physical model of that. Yep, and I think that's really important for them to understand that. You're listening to Maths Talk by AMC Schools, and we're having a chat today with Helen Booth and Nadia Abdalal about fractional thinking and unpacking some of the the ways that students think about fractions, or what we like to call fraction constructs. If you'd like to check out our website, calculate.org.au, there's lots of modules and, and uh, resources on there and also professional learning articles for teachers to help in the classroom. Also, you'll find our podcast notes um, and some other references uh, regarding fractional thinking as well. Helen, we were just talking about Firstly, uh, fractions as, as an operator and then fractions as a quotient. Do you want to keep going on that topic, fractions as a quotient? So thinking about um, fractions as, uh, you know, as one number divided by another number. Yeah, this is a really important concept for kids to understand. And we talked about it in the earlier one where we talked about when we were going to turn a fraction into a decimal and the concept that the vilinculum is the division line. Now, if you remember that, that applies. I always used to have so much trouble when I would be doing higher level maths and you'd be doing some sort of stuff in, um, in, in calculus uh, where you would have a fraction divided by a fraction. So it was, was written as a half over a half or a half over a quarter. And it was like every time I'd look at it, my brain would just go into some sort of seizure mode as I couldn't actually understand what it was wanting. But if you consider that the vilinculum means a division line, then simply it is saying a half divided by a quarter. So instead of getting confused by the visual representation of it, which looks quite uh, 
clunky. Clunky. Yeah, it does look clunky. Yeah, it does look clunky when you have a fraction over a fraction. If you just remember what that line in the middle, the velinquum, actually means, then it goes, oh, oh, hold on, that's just a half divided by a quarter, rather than going into a panic over what do I do with these all these numbers that are stacked on top of one another. So just to recap, we've, we've talked so far about the following constructs of fractions. We've talked about fractions as part of a whole, and we've talked about the importance of stipulating the unit to explain what that whole is, whether it's a single unit of something or a collection. We've talked about fractions as both an operator and also fractions as a quotient. So looking at the importance of the vinculum as a divided by sign. We've talked about fractions as a measure and the importance of showing that lots on number lines. Let's have a chat um, about fractions as a ratio. Fractions can be used to describe sets and, and that's, that's what we mean by ratios. But often there's some confusion about whether we're talking about one part of the set to the whole of, of that set or one set to another set. Nadia, you had a really interesting anecdote about that, about a situation you found yourself in where that confusion wasn't made clear for you. Um, yeah, that's right. When I This actually happened when I first started teaching. I remember um, there was a, an assessment question and the question was, you had a uh, solution of cordial to water and it was one part cordial to four parts water and it said express this as a fraction. So that was the question, express this as a fraction. So um, my confusion was what part of water to cordial am I expressing? Am I expressing it one part water to four parts cordial, so a quarter, or am I expressing it as part of the solution. So one part water to five parts of the total solution. So it wasn't really made clear in the question itself. So of course the the kids were confused. So I got, you know, half the class um, having an answer of a quarter and the other half having an answer of, of a fifth. And so really it wasn't the answers that were incorrect. It was actually the question. So Helen, there's, there's a little bit of unpacking that we can do here. Do you want to explain to listeners... Um, why it's so important in in a question like that to make it clear what we are talking about when we're talking about ratios. Okay, when we talk about a ratio, we are comparing, we can be comparing two different sets. So for example, we might say the ratio in a class is three girls to five boys. So therefore, we're saying that for every three girls, there are five boys in the class. So that's the part of what Nadia was talking about of the ratio of one to four. So for every one part, there were four of the whatever else was in the solution. So we compare one set with the other set. The other way of looking at it is if we are comparing it as the whole thing. So there were if, if we're comparing the girls and the boys, we've got three and five, so that's a total of eight. So we can actually talk of the girls as being three-eighths of the whole set and the boys being five-eighths of the whole set. Whereas in a ratio, we tend to be comparing one set with another set. And so determining whether you are comparing 
one set to another set or determining whether you are comparing one set to the whole amount is the important concept around ratios. And it's why everybody, a lot of people have a lot of difficulty understanding how ratios work. We end up um, in probability with a similar kind of problem, don't we? Because, you know, for example, if we've got a spinner and, uh, you know, there's five spaces on the spinner, two of them are blue and uh, three of them are yellow, the probability is not two out of three of, of getting blue, it's two out of five. So understanding the way that probability works is, is, is a similar uh, kind of con- concept, isn't it? Understanding what ratios really mean. Yeah, and I think that's the other thing. When when we look at stuff like probability and we apply it across, it's that link of when we're teaching probability, we are also teaching fractions, decimals, percentages, and ratio. Uh, and and it's one of the things that, that I find really frustrating, I guess, with a lot of teachers in that they want to isolate everything. They want to teach things in isolation. We're going to do probability now and and later on we're going to teach fractions, decimals and percentages. Or we might teach fractions. We might, and that's the problem, is often probability doesn't even get included because we run out of time and we haven't got time to do probability. Well, hold on. You can actually make fractions, decimals and percentages far more contextual and far more sensible by actually teaching it through probability. And then, the, then the, the students can actually talk about probability in fractions, decimals, percentages, and in also in, ratio, in ratios of that probability. What is the probability? So and I guess that, the, the moral of the story is there. As teachers, we need to make it very, very clear which, which we're talking about. So I thought we'd wrap up today by looking at um, a teaching idea to help kids understand fraction concepts and fraction constructs a, a little better. And that's the idea of fraction talks. Nadia, do you want to talk a little bit about what a fraction talk is? Because you're saying you are very keen on number talks as a, mm-hmm. a lesson starter. Yeah. Um, well, a fraction talk is done very, very similarly to a number talk or a dot talk. Uh, basically, it's a uh, warm-up routine for kids. You get the students to sit there uh, with their fist to their chest, no discussion, no calling out and no hands up when they've got an answer. But the idea is that you can you can do fraction talks in a couple of ways. You can place an image up on the board and there's a, there's a website that has got some great images. It's called fractiontalks.com. We'll put the link in our show notes. But they've, they've just got a lot of images on... Um, whole parts and also discrete values that are broken up in lots of different ways in lots of different colours. And the idea is that you're getting the students to look at the fraction and maybe ask them the question like, what fraction is shaded blue? And uh, once you get the students discussing, it comes out that students actually see these fractions in lots of different ways and the discussion is supposed to promote sort of conceptual thinking about uh, fractions and also um, their spatial thinking about fractions and it, it's actually a really, really great way of doing it. The one that I spoke about uh, earlier on is another way of doing it where you're getting um, the students to estimate the value of a fractional operation uh, 
because that's also a really, really important part of students' learning uh, to be able to look at two fractions and be able to say it is a, it will approximately be equal to this amount. And there's a couple of other websites that we could put up there as well that also talk about fractions and using fractions. So there's the, the fractiontalks.com, but there is other ones that talk about the use of fractions in visual form uh, um, to to get kids to get used to looking at fractions in visual forms and then making an estimation of what it is or coming up with different ideas. And there's a really great little activity called Briny's Triangle, which is um, on a enrich. Uh, website, which we'll also put up. And that's a good good one uh, with a little bit of paper folding, but the object of it is they have to determine the size of a triangle that they colour in once they've finished doing all of the paper folding, which actually makes kids think about how are they going to work it out. One of the things I love about fraction talks and number talks and dot talks as a, as a teaching routine, of course, is uh, it becomes a great little formative assessment um, task for kids too because you can record it so if if you know you can either point a point of an ipad with a video as kids share their responses or jot down some notes on a whiteboard as to how kids are responding capturing their thinking in the moment there which is a lovely way of of recording kids kids thinking as we go in the classroom you've been listening to maths talk by amsey schools my name's Marcus Garrett, and today we've been talking about fractional thinking. Thanks a lot for coming in, Helen and Nadia. Our pleasure. Thank you. And we will continue to unpack uh, fractions and, and, and fractional thinking as we talk further about rates and ratios in another podcast, and then on to decimals and some of the, 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 the trickier aspects of teaching decimals and percentages later on. For our show notes and information on this podcast and more, please head to AMSI Schools Teacher Support web page at calculate.org.au. Thanks today to our sound recorder, Nadia Abdelal, who's also been on the show as a, as a speaker. Thanks, of course, to Helen as, as another guest. Uh, thank you to Kristen, who's looked after our marketing, and Laura Watson, who's looked after our media. And we'll be with you next time. 